Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello to anyone who might be hearing this as part of the Temple Beth Am podcast series. Good morning from frigid Los Angeles, or maybe say frigid Pilch Hall in Los Angeles. It is. There's some, 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 something wacky going on here. We're all bundled up here drinking hot toddies and, and ready to begin a Rashi class. We are on chapter six. Uh, I believe in the middle of the, well, no, we finished the Rashi on uh, verse 23. Hold on, I'm just going to rearrange something here. Yeah. Okay. Is the sound okay, Dan? Can you hear me on Zoom? I hope so. Um, that's okay. So we read verse 23 and the interesting um, Rashi that, as I said before, um, Ra- this, the comment the Rashi we read last time, the one we're going to read today, all stems from an interesting page of Talmud in Masecha Sanhedrin. We're going to look more into that uh, today to see how the Talmud deals with this originally, and then you, we can kind of watch the process as Rashi culls that and turns that into a singular commentary. But let's read verse 23 to remind, oops, to remind ourselves we are. Hector, can you, I'm not seeing the screen up there. My computer, I don't know if I'm doing anything wrong with this. Oh, there it is. Okay. Sorry, everyone. Still getting used to this setup. Exactly like just to where to position the microphone and my computer and my book. Okay, so chapter 6, verse 23 was, Vayikach Aharon et Elisheva bat Yaminadav, achot nachshon lolisha. So Aaron, as we're learning these genealogies and learning the spouses and the children of some, but not everyone, and we've kind of seen a pattern that we're kind of spinning out the, these micro-genealogies whenever there's someone at the end of it that is eventually going to become interesting to us. Aaron took as a wife, I'm rearranging the words in English, Elisheva, who was the daughter of Avinadav. We also find out that it was the brother of Nachshon, a sister of Nachshon. And she gave birth to him. And the results were Nadav and Avihu, and Elazar and Itamar. And the question, of course, is why is his brother-in-law interesting? And Rashi culling from that page in, in uh, Masechet, Sanhedrin basically says, that if you're going to marry someone, you need to look at the person's brother. And then in the Talmud, we, they added an extra line because they believed back then that the nephew and the uncle are akin, right? So if you want to get a sense of who your son's going to be, and in that society that was most significant, look at your wife's brother, and that will give you some indication as to who's going to come in the next generation. So Make sure, right? It's almost more important to check your wife's brother, according to this, than your wife itself, right? Okay, that's where we left off. Any lingering questions of that before we learn verse 24? It's not until we get to verse 25 that we'll have another thing that will connect back to that page of the Talmud. Anyone? We did plummet for a long time last time. All right, so let's go to verse 24. Um, Barry, you want to read verse 24 of Nekorach? Oh, we need a microphone, Barry. Uvne Karak Asir Vela Akana Vyavea Saf Ela Mishpachod Ahakarhi. Rick, can you hear on that? Could you hear Barry? Hear what? Aha. Yes, I can hear him. Yes, I can hear him with the microphone. Thank you. Harry, translate. Uh, the sons of Korach, and Asir, Alchana, and Alhiasaf. These are the families of the Korachites. Okay. So uh, we, 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 as we went down the, um, the genealogy, we got to Korach. We learned Korach's three sons, and then it kind of a little coda. These are the families, these are the clans that emerged from Korach. Uh, simple verse in terms of content, simple verse in terms of grammar, uh, doesn't mean that no one has a question on it. Anyone want to, and Rashi's quiet on the verse. Anybody want to add or, or ask anything on that verse? No? 
I'm, I'm just wondering if this is the first family that we actually have the family name as a tribal name, Korchi. As an adjective? Yeah, I, thank you. That's, yeah. What, that's what I meant, as an adjective. Um, we're definitely going to get that in uh, the book of Numbers because they're the Ger Gershuni and Kehati and Mirari. It's hard to add an E onto Mirari. It's in the first time in this list, it looks like we haven't um, adjectivized any of these names, correct? What do you want to, what do you want to, now that you've noted that, what do you want to say about that, Larry? Well, it's just interesting that they merit having their family become, uh, and the name become an adjective, as opposed to simply calling them the sons of, of Korach. Right. So yeah, Livi'im would be another one, which is coming up, but so maybe, maybe it's because of, uh, of the importance of the, of the family. Yeah. Right, I mean, if you go look back to verse 19, where it could have said, Ela mishpachot halevi'i, it was Ela mishpachot halevi letoldotam, right? Um, so there are several ways of like concluding each of these ideas. And yeah, it, 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 not, it not occurred to me that this is the first adjectivization of a name. Mishpachot hakarchi? Right, but um, it's an adjective in the sense that um, the, the word karchi, which is in smichut, means the, right, it, it's an it's, um, adjectival noun, a, a, a korachite, a, korach, a korachite as an actual noun, correct, mishpachot hakarchi, correct, not mishpachot karchiot. Um, anything else in that verse before we look at the next one? Um, yeah. Yes, Hi. Um, there's a song, is, um, there's something wrong with the mic? I'm hearing static. We, we hear you just, we hear you. Just fine? Really? There's a, wow. There's I hear a, the static too, Rastrick. Yeah. Okay. It's, it even sounds like there's somebody competing, like there's a party line or something. I was going to bring up, there's this song. Oh my God! There's a psalm in Sukkot Zimra, right? Hold on one uh, second. Rick, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you turn down the speakers a little bit? Okay. I try again, Rick. Hi. Oh, much better. No, no, it's still there. <laughs> um, there's the psalm that I got from the Uvenei Korah. I thought there might be something there we could we could look at. Um, and um. They survived the trauma in the wilderness, right? Oh my God! Can you hear me? Okay, we can hear you, but you're not—you're not having an easy time. No, every time I speak, there's static, and it's not—it's not my voice coming back to me. It's something else. I'm sorry about that. You can yeah, me too. <laughs> um, problem speaking on the Zoom in this set in this setup. Maybe I should go out and come back. But Renee's hearing it too. I don't know. Um, Do the best you can. Yeah. Anyway, there's a, there's a song of Korah, right? The Korah children. I thought maybe there'd be something there that we could use. Maybe it mentions Exodus or something, no? I don't know. While you're looking. Yeah. We could, of course, study any sound we want, but while you're looking, we'll go to the next. <laughs> go okay, uh, Barry, verse 20, uh, 25. Velozara bin Acharon Lalachachlo, Minod Patielo Lucha, Vatelet Lo et Pinchas, Ela Roshe Avot Halavim, Limish Bechotam. Okay. Translate if you can. Uh, Elazar, the, uh, the son of Aaron, took for himself one of the daughters of Puchiel for a wife, and she bore him Pinchas. Uh, these are the heads of the Levites, patriarchs, according to their family. Okay, so we've trickled down from Levi to Aaron um, to Elazar, Elazar marrying someone from the daughters of Putiel, and the next generation is Pinchas. So once again, we've gotten to a genealogy where at the end of it is someone who is going to become interesting later on, Pinchas, the grandson of 
um, Elazar and the great, sorry, of Aaron and the great grandson of uh, Amram and then great, great, great of uh, Levi himself. Okay, so anything jump out at you um, uh, at this verse worthy of a question? Anyone? Remember, if you're going to ask, just grab a microphone first. Well, we're getting the genealogy of Pinchas. Right, so, so this does bring us to Pinchas, and Pinchas has become a significant person in the book of Bemidbar, and we find out whom he's related to. Uh, we've also noted that Pinchas and Korach are uh, they first cousins. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I have it right in front of me, yeah. but, um, Ko, but this is the, the family that's going to become interesting in the desert is related to one another. Um, Rick, something is odd. Rick, I'll undo that. Okay. Um, hi, Millie. Uh, any other uh, questions on this verse? I see uh, Alan, and then I see Rebecca, and then I see Rachel. It, it says, from the daughters of Putiel, but they don't give the wife's name. So why do they just say the daughters of Putiel and not the name of the wife? Right. There's so much about that phrasing, which is worthy of a question. So first of all, we, we don't know the name in the same way, um, well, not in the same way. In the previous verse, we learned an interesting um, family connection to Elisheva, that she, she was the sister of Nachshon, but at least we got her name. Here, we don't have the woman's name. What, and what else is interesting about this phrasing? Well, it's the daughters, yeah. Right, it's a category. Like, so he married into, you, you, you know those famous daughters of Putiel? Well, Elazar got one of them. And what's odd even about that? Maybe on, on the most basic level. Huh? Who's Putiel? Right? It, it seems to be that if we're going to make a reference to the daughters of someone, then the someone should be so knowable that we'll say, ah, that's why it's significant that we learn this, because this is the daughters of Putiel. Who cares what her name was? He, he got a Putiel daughter, right? How impressive. Or maybe the reverse. He was stuck with a Putiel daughter. But, um, <laughs> but, but Putiel is totally foreign to us, right? But it's the word, this, the verse is listed without self-consciousness. It's written without self-consciousness as if there's anything odd about this. But there's odd, there's oddness in that she's not named. There's oddness in that she's one of a group, and that the person that she's the daughter of is not someone who is interesting or known to us. Okay? Leonard, uh huh, good. So th that JPS um, kind of academic understanding of Putiel is going to be a wonderful counterpoint to how the rabbis are going to be. Well, they're just like heads up, right? You've heard the term notrikun, right? Where where the where the rabbis take a, a, a word that may or may not have a Hebrew origin, and they break it down into two words as if Hebrew is the source. Something similar is going on here. You could be sure that since we're introduced to a name that we don't know about, the rabbis are going to give us a, a reason behind this name, and the reason is going to be colorful and interesting, okay? Uh, so that's, um, I'm leading the witness a little bit, but that's where the direction we're going in. Any other questions on the verse before we get into the Rashi? Larry. Uh, Larry needs a mic. Can you just repeat what Leonard said? Because we didn't hear you. What Leonard, uh, what Leonard said is that JPS basically says that Putiel is, doesn't seem to be a Hebrew name, Hebrew word. It seems to be a hybrid between uh, Hebrew and ancient Egyptian. El, God, Puti, some uh, ancient Egyptian word. Uh, and that Pinchas apparently also has Egyptian origins. Okay. Uh, everyone on the table, if you're speaking to the mic, see how close my mouth is? You have, to, you have to get that close or they won't hear you. That also helps, yes. There are a lot of factors here. Yes. So my comment is I, I, I see a consistency here in terms of emphasizing the names that are going to come up in the, in the future, which is the case here of Pinchas. But I wanted to read the short entry by Alter, okay. which goes along the lines of what we've been discussing. Putiel Pinchas. These are the two names in the list of Egyptian origin, though Putiel has a Semitic theophoric suffix. Of course, L. Does. I guess that's the, theophor the theophoric is L. We might infer that taking a wife from the daughters of Putiel suggests that Elazar's marriage is examinous, no, exogamous, exogamous. Another indication that the Hebrews were not altogether segregated from the Egyptians. Ex exogamous meaning intermarried. 
as opposed to endogamy, which is intramarriage. And thus the wife might understandably give an Egyptian name to their son. Later, this possible, possible product of intermarriage will show himself to be a fierce zealot on behalf of the Israel, Israelite, on behalf of Israelite purity. That's a, a wonderful kind of armchair psychologizing of, of Pinchas' character based on his potential family origins and, 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 and the mixed nature, right? That the, that the, the offspring of the, of the mixed relationship became a zealot for, for, one, for one side against the other. Interesting. Okay, anything else on this before we look at the Rashi? <clears throat> the one word that was used, the one word that was used, theo, theophoric, theophoric, is that when you add something to make the, the, the name of God included in your name? I guess so. It was a theophoric suffix. So the suffix is the thing that is added to it. Theo, God, phoric. I don't know what, what phoric means in the word metaphoric. Yeah. Um, but it's, but, but you've, it, it basically means that. I don't know why it means that. Okay. Because um, in our Sidur class, Rab, uh, Rabbi Aviavivi was talking about this in one of the Psalms about adding the names, and there's certain names that end in the name of God, or even that Joshua's name, it was added, they, they added letters to it to become, uh, to indicate that God's name is included right. within the name itself. So right. the, And he used a word that I didn't hear then, I think it may have been something like theophoric. theophoric. Could be. Right, that, that Hosea was turned into Yehoshua, the idea being that, that he called him that as a, as a pet name to suggest that he believed that, that, that Joshua w could be godly or already was godly or may he be godly, Yehoshua, correct. Your name is Lamb, you have a theophoric prefix, Al-Lamb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> okay, on that note, Barry, uh, oh read the Rashi, please, on Mibnot uh, Putiel. He needs a microphone. Close to it. You got to go closer, Barry. No one will hear anything. Thank you. How's that? Better. It's okay. All right. Mibnot Putiel. Mizevak Yitro. Shep. 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 Okay, pause right there. So that Rashi's first answer, and then we're going to look at the Talmudic source in a second, but let's just see how Rashi first digests it. Mizera Yitro, what Zera here mean? So a descendant of. Right, from the seed of Jethro, meaning a descendant of. And now we're going to, Rashi's going to describe Jethro in a way that is a play on the Puti of the Putiel. And the Puti is Pei Tet. So Jethro, who was Pitem Agalim Lavudazara. Anyone know what the Hebrew word Lifatem means in the PL? I'm going to pull it up on the Zoom, at least see how Joshua understands it. You would think it's not related to Pitom, although there's, a, there's the visual that you can, that you can uh, connect to in a second. So this is Jastro on, the, on Patam. So this is one of the words where, where what binyan the root falls into uh, changes the meaning. So in the Pa'al, Liftom, Potem, it means either to crush or to pound or to expand or make large or, hold on to this one, to fatten, okay? Before we look at the Pitain, anyone, anyone have a, a, an association in their mind in liturgy or anywhere else in the word Pitain or Pitom or Pitom? Aside from that, where there's an Aleph in the middle of that word. Isn't Pitom suddenly? Uh, also, a uh, different root that's Petaf Aleph, Peta, or uh, Ayan. Um, Pitum Hakatoret. Anyone come across that? It's in, we don't say it out loud in our, in our davening, but it's at the end, usually of a Shabbat morning service and in Israel in a weekday service. It's a list of all of the spices that went into uh, making the, the, uh, the, the incense, right, uh, in the temple. And there's a whole list of it, and it's a, it's a Mishnah, and it appears usually before the last Kaddish Jerobin. At the end of our services, we go to a, Kaddish, a mourner's Kaddish. We don't do Amar Rebbe Elazar, all that stuff. But in many services, after Aleinu, before mourner's Kaddish, you have an extra section, and then a, and then a Kaddish Jerobinan, and then something, and then mourner's Kaddish. And in that first section is Pitum HaKatoret, the arrangement of the spices of the incense, oh. right? Barry? 
or the, the, the end of the S-rope. Right, I think that's probably an accident, um, but it's the same sounding word. I think there's an aleph in that word, in, oh. in, in, in a pitom. Okay, so that's patam in the pa'al, but this is pitem, Rashi uses pitem, which means it's in the pl form. It has several different meanings. To pound spices, like the compounded incest, pitum hakatoret, right? And then if you go down to number two, to fatten or to cram. Look at, look at the source here. In Breshit Rabbah, Genesis R, it's a play on Potiphar. So elsewhere, we've got another Poti. I didn't even make the connection. Um, uh, Leonard, now your comment is even more interesting because Poti and Potiphar also has the Poti beginning. That's clearly an Egyptian name. I never made a connection between Putiel and Potiphar. So in Breshit Rabbah, there's a word game on Potiphar. And what's the word game? Shahaya mifatem agalim avodah That he would fatten cows, lifatem to fatten up for avodah to make them nice and juicy for their uh, idolatry. And then we've got um, nearly a Jastro jackpot. It's a reference to somewhere else in um, Talmudic literature where Putiel's name is being discussed. Reitem ben Puti. Um, do, you, do you see that the son of Puti, Shepitem Aviv Imo, whose, um, whose grandfather, um, Aviv Imo, uh, fattened up calves. Okay, so go back into um, what we've got here in Rashi. We're saying that why is it called Potiphar? Sorry, why is it called Putiel? Because he was a descendant of y Yitro, and Yitro, at least before the Midrashic notion that he converted to Israelite religion was a uh, idolatrous priest, and he would spend his time fattening up his cows for the sacrifice. What kind of a, I don't know, nickname is the wrong word, what kind of a, of a, of a, uh, of a way of describing Yitro is it to say that he fattened up cows for Avodah Zarah? Is it, is it a praise? Is it a critique? Is it a description? In what, way, in, what, in what way is it slander, Larry? It does make you think of foie gras. Foie gras. <clears throat> I'm not sure it's related to foie gras, but fat, he's, he's fattening up uh, animals for, for, for Vodazara, for, for idolatrous sacrifice. And it, it's not a nice thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's certainly, it's, the question is, it's not a nice thing from our perspective. If one is already an idolater, is it, does it change one's sense of the idolater to know that they're preparing animals for sacrifice? Is that making it worse? Or is it just, is it just an insult saying, remember folks, however much Yitro gets involved in our story, at the core he was an idolater and his idolatrous seed got into our system. So I don't know the Midrash at all. And this is rather shocking to me because I thought that Yitro was somebody who knew Hashem, who knew Yudhei Vavhei, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So if he knew, if he knew God, intimately and he's still participating in this idolatrous sacrifice or fattening the the the, the 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 animals for it he's kind of a hypocrite right so well, yeah. well just pause one second whatever he is it's all happening in the imagination of these rabbis right the rabbis are starting with a name they don't understand and they're searching their rolodex what does it sound like what does it sound like what does it sound like what can i connect to and so it's an opportunity to give a mini sermonette and the question is what's the mini sermonette is the mini sermonette um, all idolaters are the same and they foie gras their animals and they treat them poorly, is the mini sermonette that however much Yitro is going to become important in the story, just remember he was an idolater of the core and therefore in the family becomes a descendant. We're not sure. I don't, I don't know the answer, but I think that's the question. Uh, Elon and then uh, Alan and then I think say Rick's hand. Yeah, it would seem to me that the fattening of the calves is not a negative here because clearly our ancestors had no problem fattening up the calves for sacrifice. I think it's the idolatrous worship that's the issue. Right. I think the fattening of the calves is incidental. Yeah, he fattened up the calves for idolatrous worship. Right. It seems that like the word fattening here is just the way to link an odd name to, <laughs> it's not even to Yitro's name, it's just to <clears throat> think of the number of verbs you can attach to any human being. So we found a verb. The verb is pitem. It's not even a great one because putiel, 
the, the root is petaf and pitaim to fatten up. The mem is, is sorry, petet. The, the mem is significant in the root. So it's not even, it's not even a, a great verbal connection, but it seems that the connection is to get to yitro and the, and the way there is this verb fattening, but not that the problem itself is the fattening. What, what second, no. Alan and then Sue? No, go ahead. Um, well, the Puti El, it's, it's almost like, well, his name is fattening up for the gods kind of thing, even though it's El, not Elohim. Uh -huh. But Puti El, it's like this is his name because this is what he did exactly. Uh huh. So that, the, that you're saying that the wordplay might not just be on the Puti part, but the El part. He was a, no. he was a for God fattener. Right. Yeah, or for their gods fattener. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But to make it for their gods factor would seem more of a dim diminishment because as, as Larry was alluding to, um, uh, Yitro was viewed as a hero. He was the one who advised Moses how to be able to handle the judicial system so he'd have more time to focus what was going to take place. He was the one who did all these good things and to say, to describe him as someone who's just going to fatten fattened the sacrifices for Avodah Zarah yeah. after being so connected with Yitro and with the, and, and I think there's some Midrashim that really go into how great Yitro was, and right. they talk about, you know, Yoter and more and what was going to be rearranged and all the things that he was doing. I, they don't come readily to mind now, but he's viewed as a, as a righteous Gentile, so to speak, in, in that sense, of the, in a very positive way, and to say that his job, his connection was to fatten fatten uh, animals for sacrifice for Avodah Zarah is, is the problem. Yeah. It's a helpful thing to be reminded occasionally that rabbinic literature is so vast and so varied that to ask rabbinic literature to answer to itself, right, to be consistent with itself is an impossibility, right? We can't even, I gave this to this past Shabbat, we can't even be consistent inside one person. And rabbinic literature is representing the wisdom traditions of hundreds of sages over hundreds of years, right? So they, it's, it's, it's possible to have a midrashic thrust that goes in this direction that is countermanded by a midrashic thrust in another generation. One of the things that this is countermanded by, there is halachic material in the Talmud and the midrash that says that once a person quote unquote, sees the light and converts to Judaism, you may never taunt that person or remind them about who they were beforehand, right? You can never say or taunt a non-Jew and, and talk about the, the trait that used to pass their lips as if knocking them down. Once you've converted and you're a Jew, you're a Jew with no asterisk, right? And, at, and in fact, the rabbis use that as a example of a sin called hona advarim to, a, to um, afflict someone with words a version of afflicting someone with words, right? How do you actually cause, cause damage with words? This is a way of doing it, by telling uh, or speaking to or about a non-Jew, reminding them of their pre-Jewish, their pre-Halachic past, right? Now, this is all anachronistic because whatever Yitro did or didn't do, he didn't convert, right? So, and, and he didn't live in an era where, where there was a formal process, but this is the rabbi seemingly aware that there are other parts of the tradition that are going to, um, raise up Yitro as almost one of us, a kind of reminder, well, he's not almost one of us, right? He's actually, you know, what, what he was doing before he met us was the antithesis of what we want to do. He was, you know, we are, we're preparing our animals to sacrifice to the one God. He was doing it to the many gods, right? So it could be just two, two different ideas within rabbis living in different cities across different centuries. Um, there were a lot of hands up. Uh, let me go to Rick first, and then I see the hands on the table. Rick, I hope you can hear yourself as you talk. Me too. No, there's still static. Now. But anyway, the rest of the rock sheet, I just wanted to point out, I hear in the Yitro, Yitro. So I think Rashi is playing with us there. And then there's another P-Pate. Yeah, I'm just saying that might add to the discussion. Okay. But let, let's let's wait till we actually say that part out loud. Um, okay, uh, Rosemary, give her a microphone, and then Rachel, and then Sue. Um, I was just referring to fattening part because um, I think there's something good in doing that because in Middle East, if we look, especially probably in those times more than now, the cows weren't uh, or calves weren't 
so fat as it is in America. They are very tiny. They are they look sick almost. So if they are fattening, it's to present something good to God, not a, a sick uh, cow. And we do that for uh, turkeys in uh, Thanksgiving. Right. A month before, they give them uh, walnuts, and that fattens them very fast. And that's for economical thing that they become heavier. But um, it's not bad thing to fatten before even sacrifice. Right. In a tradition where the goal is to offer something choice to your God on an altar, then having what you're offering being from, from the best that you can offer is a good thing. The question is, are we, is this an entirely negative idea because it has to do with Avodah Zarah? Or is this somehow saying that, you know, when he was a priest to them, at least, at least he was, um, at least he was working hard, you know, to, to expand more of his resources to fatten up his animals for Avodah Zarah. I have a hard time imagining that the rabbis can say anything praiseworthy about idolatry, uh, but you're right, within a tradition where you're offering up your best to the gods, you might as well have your animals be more plump, right? Uh, Rachel, Sue, and then Barry. Just a quick, <clears throat> a quick reminder in our discussion of Yitro. Yitro is one of the biblical characters whose name changes a few times in the story. Mm -hmm. I don't recall right this moment the other names. Reuel and Chovav. Okay. So in making the connection between Putiel and Yitro, would those additional um, dimensions or characters ascribed to Yitro um, have any relevance? Um. Off the top of my head, I can't think of I can't think of it. But you're right. Yit, um, and and the wordplay here is not on Yitro's name, but on something about his character. Uh, although uh, Rick made us wonder about the the next phrase we're going to say, which is not about Yitro, but at least has a word that is that is um, reminiscent of Yitro's name. Um, I don't see any obvious associations between Yitro's name and these and the two other names of Yitro. Um, but maybe we can explore that. Uh, Sue and then Barry. And then we'll, then Barrow will be the second half of the Rashi. Um, maybe, maybe Putel has already been um, kind of scrubbed. Like, um, if, if it, in fact, you know, once they've converted and now they're, you know, Israelites essentially, um, then, and he's in among the Leviim. It might be that that's what he used to do is stuff the calves for for sacrifice for the gods, but for Avodah Zarah. But um, maybe it's Putiel. Maybe that's his job now. He's he's stuffing the calves for the one god. I'm trying to follow your line of thinking. So by, by <laughs> me too. <laughs> but no, I want to I want to invest in it. So you're saying that if he's a descendant. If, if who is it who married this is if Elazar married a daughter of the descendant of Putiel, married someone who has in his history to a different god, like a preparing for sacrifice expertise, and maybe that could be helpful. You know, maybe, maybe there's something semi-positive about this. Is what you're saying? That Not just semi-positive. A whitewashing of Putiel. But that Putiel is a fit name. Yeah, yeah. It that he's he's you know. Yeah. It's interesting. It's so hard to um, it's so hard to presume tone in midrash, right? And 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 it's certainly hard to presume tone in Rashi because he's so terse. Uh, I keep leading up to it. We're gonna see at least one of the Talmudic sources where this comes from, where the tone is a little clear, right? Rashi is totally flat here. There's 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 no way of inferring if he's doing it snidely. Is he sneering? Is it flat? Or is he somehow backhandedly praising this marriage because, hey, we, we, we've got someone who's got an expertise in preparing animals for sacrifice. Maybe that's not a terrible thing for us. It's hard to know, right? Um, who is next? Rachel? No, Barry was next. So, but Rachel, go ahead, Rachel, and then we'll go to Barry. I, I, I don't know what the, the big thing is all about. Uh, it, it's very clear later in, uh, in the Torah that uh, Yitro was a priest of Midian. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's a big shot priest of Midian. That's what they do. Uh, but uh, so uh, 
Yeah, well, early. We've already, we've already met that when we met Yitro early on in in, in the book of Sh- in Parshat Shmot. So we already know he's cool. He, he's he, he's a big guy. He is indeed, Rachel. I just wanted to get back to the point about the plurality of Banot. And uh, are there other references to wives in the plural like that? Because that is just something I think is worth exploring more. Yeah, there are, there are notes so-and-so in uh, several different times in the book of Breshit when um, right, um, Rivka is upset that Esav married daughters from, from married people from the daughters of, of this tribe. Um, so that, that, that does happen occasionally in the text. Um, Barry, why don't you read the second half of the Rashi after Abu Dazara? Uh, oh, this is where he's uh, Yosef. Okay, so so read that. Okay, so maybe Putiel is from the offspring of Yitro, and the connection is Putiel Pitaim. He was a he was a a calf fattener, or maybe Putiel was a descendant of Yosef. That's better. And what, what's the word play on Yosef? That um, Yosef was Pete Pate Pete Pete Pate. I want to know what Pete Pate means. I have a word contempt. Let's see what Jastro says. Um, I forgot to um, pull that up one second. Okay, Pete Pate. <laughs> okay. And uh, Sue, do you know how it's used in modern Hebrew, Lefat Pate? It's to chatter. It's a ch- it's to, to chatter about someone, so, and some and and you, yeah. It's a version of gossip, right? Um, but in rabbinic Hebrew, it's not necessarily that at all. So Pete Pate, um, Pete, where are you? Where are you, Pete Pate? Um, the first one is that to talk to babble. The second one to talk or argue with one's own passion to conquer oneself. Mm. And we've got another partial. Jastro Jackpot, because it shows you all the places where this wordplay appears. Because Rashi is quoting apparently from um, uh, Sanhedrin, page 10, but we saw that there was another reference before. And here, apparently in Bava Batra, page 109b, there's another um, explication of Benot Putiel. So let's just understand the, the words that he's called Putiel because he was the offspring of Yosef. Because Yosef, what did he do? He talked or argued with his own passion and he conquered oneself. What's the reference, Alan? That's for, for Potiphar's wife when he resisted himself. Poti. Potiphar's wife, which makes it all the more meaningful because there's a play on Potiphar as well with respect to these same words. Right. So, right, so the reference is to the, 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 the Midrashic expansion of Yosef's self-control to reject or to at least not give in to the temptation of Potiphar's wife. And so Yosef was a, was a, was, was, was a Pete Pater, right? <coughs> or one of his children was going to be called Putiel, obviously. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a silly association, a silly connection, right? The connection to Potiphar is really interesting, particularly because you can imagine that Potiphar also could have been called uh, someone who was Mifat Pitaim, because he was an idolater as well. And Yosef, uh, this is a strong notion. He was able to talk to his own instincts and say, you calm yourself down, right? He was able to get out of his brainstem and use his prefrontal cortex to tell himself that he is not trying, he's not going to submit to this temptation, okay? So this is a very positive thing. So it's unclear, as Rashi saying, that these daughters of Putiel, that Putiel was a descendant of Yitro, or Yosef, or both? What do you think he's saying? Yo. I just have a footnote that says the reason he Rashi does this is because there's an extra yod in Putiel. So therefore, it's, it's pay tough. There's m- multiple pay toughs. Pay tough. Pay tet. Putiel is usually without the yod, but you put the yod in, it makes it a plural. It makes it for a, for, a, for a double drosh. Okay, so with that in mind, let's look at the piece of Talmud. I forgot everyone, I didn't share the screen for the 
last piece of Jastro, so I apologize. So we looked at this piece of Talmud last time also, but now we're looking above it because the way that Rashi quotes the material is in the opposite order of how it appears actually in the text. So Bava Batra, end of 109b, beginning of 110a. Um, Got to look kind of this, this whole section. They're trying to figure out who Pinchas is. In the Talmud, right, the Rashi is culling from material that is not answering the individual question that we were looking at in the text, trying to figure out who Pinchas is. U Pinchas lav mi Yitro, Ate? Pinchas, the descendant of Yitro? The Hakativ says, Elazar ben Aaron lakach lo mi putiel lo lisha. Elazar, this is our verse, the son of Aaron took for, as a wife, from the daughters of Putiel. My love de ate miyitro. Does this not mean that Pinchas, who's going to descend from this family, came from Yitro, uh, who was pitem agalim avadazarah, who fattened up calves for avadazarah? La, no, de ate mi Yosef. I disagree. The Talmud disagrees with itself. He came from Yosef. What's the play on the, on the word? Shepit pet biyitro, that he resisted the desires by talking down to his own. Um, uh, Yetzer Hara. Pipate means to, 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 to talk to your instincts, to battle them down. I added the word resisted. Right? That, that, that uh, the, the word means to chatter, but here it means that Yosef had an internal dialogue. Right? You know the cartoons of the, the angel and the devil on your shoulder? But he had an internal dialogue and he, he chatted it out, and by the end of that chatting, he realized, I'm not going to give in. There's another play on that, Rabbi, that in, in the sense of the, I think it's in, in Yoma where it's, where how is able, how is Joseph able to resist this? His father saw the face of his father and right. that's what convinced him not to succumb to Potiphar's, right. Potiphar's so, wife. So in some ways, Potiphar's this Midrash wife. and Yosef is more praiseworthy of Yosef because he had, he had the material inside himself to resist rather than rely on a prophetic, you know, oracle from his father, Larry. So it's clearly not Yosef's inclination to chatter. No, no, it's it's Yosef's at least in this much. It's Yosef's successful negotiation chatter with himself to not give in to what was probably a very tempting offer. Yeah. The Talmud continues. But didn't the tribes make fun of him? And Omrim, this is trying to um, go back to maybe it's Yitro, not Yosef. Don't we know that they would, they would um, denigrate uh, Pinchas and say about him, and Omrim, uh, ben Puti, look at this Puti offspring. Ben Shepitem Avi Imo Agalim whose mother's father fattened up calves for. Um, for uh, I, 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 uh, idolatry. Yaharog Nasi Shevet Mi Israel, would such a person, because it's now about Pinchas, uh, kill a prince of the tribe of Israel? Ella i avud Yosef, This is how it's going to resolve both of them. If his mother's father was a Josephite, then his mother's mother was a Yitroite. And if you want to reverse it, fine. If his mother's father came from Yitro, his mother's mother came from Yosef. Um, and uh, you can learn this. This is what Joel is referring to. Daikanami. Uh, Daikanami means if you look closely, the thing you think might be right is proven in the text itself. Literally means um, be specific also, like like uh, to be ex- uh, explicit. Ichtiv mibnot putiel, because it says the daughters of putiel, and it's not you have to know Talmudic arg- uh, reasoning to make sense of this. The yud is extraneous. Tarte. Tarte is the Aramaic word for two. You can learn two drashot from this because the yud is extraneous, even though it doesn't say that explicitly. Shmamine. Therefore, you can learn two things. So he was the putiel, links us both to Yitro and to Yosef. So Rashi contracts all of this and says, you reader, you're not thinking about Pinchas here, even though Pinchas is going to come up later on in the genealogy. You're trying to figure out who putiel is, either Yitro or Yosef, or if you want, reader, you can do both. So where does that leave us? What do people think of this uh, material about a person that we'll never meet again, <laughs> that we can't prove, where the linguistic connection is soft, 
Um, uh, what, what does it do to the verse? What does it do to the genealogy? Where are we in this story that says that this genealogy is significant? Anybody want to offer any kind of meta concepts on this stuff before we uh, just about finish the genealogy? Okay. Let's read the next verse. Um, Leonard. Uh, Leonard asks if anyone's ever met a Putiel. I have not. Nor a what's the one one from last week a nefeg. I've never met a nefeg either, but um, I don't know. May, maybe in my career I'll one day officiate at a, at a bris for a putiel. Sue. Well, you know I can't figure it. It's hard to figure out here if if you know all this talk about putiel and his history. If 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 the idea is uh, that that you have to schlep with you all the baggage of everybody, even if you convert it or you like what, how do you, it, it seems like pretty far to go for Mr. Anonymous Putiel. Yeah. Mean, meaning what, what do we right. do with that now? Like, how do we, you know, are we always the grandchild, the great grandchild of the idolater calf stuffer, you right. know, like how do you get rid of it? Right. And what, and why do we, and, Let's say Putiel got that name for one or two of his ancestors. And now we're supposed to imagine that, that those characteristics passed down to Putiel's daughters, because we're not even talking about Putiel, but his daughters, right? Um, and we're also supposed to imagine that the only reason why it's interesting to us is because maybe those characteristics passed down to the next generation, because it's not until the next generation, the offspring of Elazar, the son of Aaron, uh, and one of these orders of Putiel that we're, that we're concerned about um, uh, pin, Pinchas, right? That it'll, it'll, it'll get down into Pinchas, right? You can make the connection, right? That um, Elazar ends up becoming significant in the temple service. So maybe if he had a great, great grandfather who was named for someone who was a, um, a, a calf stuffer that that's either, either is a blot on him that now he's, he's offering uh, animals to God when so previous in his genealogy, someone was doing it to idolatry, or maybe he's learned the trade, right? Um, and we already did a little bit of imagining as to how this could impact who Pinchas was. Um, and, um, and, and none of this is resolved because we don't have clear answers to this. Renee. Maybe it's just as a reminder to, to us of where the whole idolatry thing came from so that we don't go back there now. Uh-huh, that, it, that, it, that it's in our blood somewhere, right? You know, we, has anyone in the room done 23andMe or a, a geneal genealogical search, right? It's interesting to imagine, you know, who was who back there, you know, pe people whose numbers come back, you know, 98% Ashkenazi Jew, 2%, they don't know what, right? Is this from the Khazars in the 13th century? Is this a Cossack raid of a, of a, uh, of a shtetl in the 17th century? And at some point, does it, does it really matter? We are who we are. It is interesting to know a little bit our parents' um, emotional, psychological, and medical health histories, and maybe our grandparents, but our great-great-grandparents, does, really, does it really show up in us? On some level, of course, because everything is, that's, that is us is genetic, and genes express themselves in certain ways. Um, clearly, the people this generation were not thinking on a genetic level. Larry? It could just be our desire sometimes to uh, to associate with notoriety. Yeah, I have an aunt by marriage who is uh, of, um, a daughter of the Purple Gang, which was a notorious um, uh, gangster operation in Detroit. Mm. And I don't shy away from mentioning that. It explains so much more of you, Larry. <laughs> Um, let us keep going. Uh, let us read verse, oh, Leonard, we're never going to get off this verse because apparently it creates interference for the people speaking on Zoom. Okay. So I found another reference over here. It's suggesting here that uh, Putiel is in fact a Hebraized version of Potiphera, the priest of On, whose daughter Joseph married whose daughter Joseph married. That's in Genesis 41-45. And it says that the PH being the definite article in Egyptian and the Ra, the Egyptian god. Hmm. 
Right, so maybe there are really stronger connections here with the Yosef side of the story, right? Then, and it's that the the Putiel Potiphar, the Midrashic view may be, you know, connecting him to having controlled his urges, but it may be that we're actually talking about the same family over there. Yeah, yeah. and it's very interesting too. If it's Potiphar, and Ra is the Egyptian god, it's another example maybe. of what's that word again? That begins with the T. The Theo. Theophoric. Theophoric. It's theophoric in the Egyptian sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Barry? Well, it just seems that we're, this, this lineage uh, to the, uh, the, the Kobanites, uh, the, the, the priests of the temple, our temple, have in their root the struggle between the extremes of spiritual mm. tension, mm. of uh, uh, um, idol worship, controls one's self and performance uh, to God. That's really interesting, Barry, because I hadn't thought about what is what is narratively shared between the Yitro and the Yosef in this one Rashi called from the text in Bhavabhatra. And it does reference two of the three biggies when it comes to the, uh, the, the Jewish and rabbinic understanding of the worst ways that you can act, right? There are three um, mitzvot that are considered yehareg v'yal avor that you should give up your life before violating this mitzvah, right? One of them is idolatry. One of them is sexual licentiousness. And the third one is, anyone know? Murder. Murder, right? Bloodshed, right? You cannot murder someone else to save your own life. You can murder the person who, you can kill the person who's trying to kill you, that's self-defense. But we used this example before. If Bill says to me, he's going to kill me unless I murder Larry and Larry's innocent, I cannot murder Larry to save my own life, right? So two of the threes have been represented here, right? The resist, <laughs> purple gang, yes. <laughs> yeah, he was gonna murder me first. Um, uh, re resisting the urge to give in to one's sexual impulses and then somehow graduating from, idol from idolatry to serving the one God. So both of, two of the three are referenced here and I hadn't thought about that on a narrative level. Let's at least start the next verse. Um, who have we not heard from at all today? Anyone we've not heard from at all today? Oh, Rick, your hand is up. Is your hand up or what, is it still up? Yeah, no, I just added it. I just wanted to say all of this would go away if they just gave us the name of Eleazar's wife, like they gave us Yocheved in verse 20 and Elisheva in 23. So there was a reason they didn't want to say the name, and they would rather do me than Putiel. So we would be talking about Putiel. So it's like they just wanted to under the author wanted to underline that there's all sorts of history, um, good and bad, with with uh, all of our ancestors, kind of thing. That's all. The author of the Torah is a they speaking about. For, for multiplicity of, of deities, right? Um, and yes, this would all go away, but hasn't this been a fun 47 minutes, right? We don't want this. <laughs> <Good stuff. laughs> right, okay. right. Uh, Rachel, do you want to read the next verse? Verse 26. Who Aharon Umoshe Asher Amar Adonai Lahem Hutiyu et B'nai Yisrael Me'eret mitrayim al tzvaot, tzvaot, tzvaotam. Yes, al tzvaotam. It's one of the, it's a hard word. There are very few um, silent letters in Hebrew, but, but occasionally there's an aleph in there. They're not sure exactly what to do with. Okay, tra translate that. Um, reading again from Sepharia. It is the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring forth the Israelites from the land of Egypt, troop by troop. And I'm particularly interested in that military reference. Yeah. Troop it, which troop. translation do you know? Of, what, what translation you're reading? Is it Ever Fox or JPS? Do you know? It's word for word JPS. Word for word JPS. Okay. Because Safari has different translations. So Everett Fox is by the force. We think is, the, um, is what's turned into the same, right? In that JPS translation, it was, it's the same who, right? There's a who here, Horton, here's a who. There's, there's a who here that's hard to know how to translate because first of all, it feels like we're 
we're, we're, we're continuing from an ellipsis, right? Like you ever hear someone pick up a story and, and as you know, they, they were beginning to tell you a while back and then you've something interrupted and all of a sudden they're, they're continuing to tell the story as if there was no interruption. Oh, this is the Aaron and Moshe. What, who, what, are, what are we referring to? And, and the who is interesting because who is singular, right? So if you had to translate it literally, he is, is is not translated, Aaron and Moshe, um, that God said to them, bring out the Israelites from the land of Egypt, and then the phrase, al-tzivotam, right? Look for a second back on um, verse, chapter 6, verse 13, yes. Going back to before we started this genealogy, which is not that many verses ago, but because we've lingered on some of the stuff, it's a long time ago in our learning of the material. After the encounter where Moshe again speaks about his reticence to take on this job and he's Aral Svatayim, how are they going to listen to me? There's, an, there's a chapter break, uh, or at least there's a Parsha break in the Torah's columns after verse 12, but it's not a, a, a break in the Christian designation of the beginning of an ending of chapters. God said, El Moshe to Moses and Aaron, Israel. We spent a long time in that verse, and he commanded them regarding the children of Israel, Viel Paro, and also regarding Pharaoh, Melech Mitzrayim, the king of Egypt, to get them out of Egypt. And then the next verse is the beginning of the second Aliyah of Vaera. Let's remind ourselves who we're talking about here, who they are. It seems to be that the reason why this is introduced is to give us the full picture of the two people who are the main characters in the actual story that's happening. The actual story is happening is not that people were being born. It's not that Putiel had daughters. The actual story is as Moses and Aaron are about to go into the lion's den to remove the Israelites from, the, from Egypt. We figure out something about them. Back to who are Romashah? These very ones that were mentioned in the above genealogy. And while, hold on. And while, I'm doing, while I was doing that genealogy, I also told you about some of their descendants. But, but it was all about Moshe and Aaron, or yes, Aaron and Moshe. Rashi will comment on that as well. It's the opposite order. The ones to whom God had said, take out the Israelites from the land of Egypt. That's almost an exact quote from verse 13. And adding on to it, al tzivotam. So Rachel, you were, you were commenting about that. What does al mean as a preposition? On or for or regarding? And Sivotam, what's the root? Uh, Tzadi Bet Aleph. Uh, right, it, it, it does have a military commentation because tzva, like Tzahal, Tzva Haganali Israel, right? Exactly. Kadosh, 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 Nayat Tzvaot. So there is it military. It more seems to be a, a reference to the coterie of angels, right? <coughs> I'll read you. Um, Ever Fox's translation of this verse, and then we'll have to go into the Rashi's next week. Uh, Ever Fox sh shows how hard this, this, this verse is to translate. Um, I wonder if I could bring it up on Safari, but I'm not going to do that. It takes too much time. He says, those, that's the who. And then he adds in parentheses, were they. Those were they. I'm oh, sorry, I read the wrong verse. That, that is the Aaron and Moshe to whom God said, bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their forces. He does al-tzivotam by their forces. Let's do Rashi and Everett Fox. What do we think Everett Fox means by by their forces? Well, Kaplan says amas, which he then explains in organized groups. Right. So there are three possible ways of, maybe more, but there are at least three way, things that the root savah could denote. It could mean military. It could mean large numbers, like, a, like God, the God of hosts, like the, the hosts of angels. And it could have to do with something that is well-ordered, well-structured, right? And those mean very different things in this verse. And even the al is interesting because the preposition al is not necessarily the preposition we'd expect here. We might have pre uh, expected the preposition b, like via, by their military or by, by their numbers or by their ordered groups. We'll hold that as a cliffhanger because Rashi is going to have a lot to say about this verse and the next verse. So, um, Putiel, it's been nice hanging out with you. I might live the rest of my life never thinking of you again, but thank you for, uh, thank you for making our class so interesting today. 
Have a good day, everybody. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.